everyone. It's with Mike with your weekend review for October 18th. Uh, we're in the middle of earnings season, and earnings have been rolling out. <clears throat> and um, basically, at this point, they're coming in better than expected. But let's focus on the actual market first. Uh, so the market finished the week about 60, uh, 60 basis point higher on the S&P 500 um, <clears throat> and uh, is now up about 40 basis points for the month. Uh, when we look at the sector rotation for the week, um, it was really a mixed week overall with um, healthcare leading the way higher, up about 2% based on the XLV. Biotech wasn't far behind, also up about 2%. Financials had a decent week, rising by about 1.6%. And consumer discretionaries rounded out the top four, up about one3 In terms of um, the worst performing sectors, we had energy down 1.5%. Uh, technology down about 80 basis points and semis down about uh, 30 basis points. So like I said, really a mixed week, no real clear direction in terms of a sector rotation going on. When we look at the month overall, you have semiconductors uh, up about, I'm sorry, biotech up about 3%, semiconductors up about two and a half. When we look at um, two of the sectors leading the way lower, energy down about 3.6% and utilities down about 1.4% followed by materials down about 1.2%. So certainly global growth uh, and risk-off names are kind of leading the way lower for the market, and risk-on is still certainly kind of leading the way higher for equities. Um, Momentum stocks, if we look at momentum versus value, uh, it seems that this week we saw value stocks rise by about 1% based on the VLUE, while momentum stocks fell by about 50 basis points basis uh, on the MTUM. So again, uh, a little bit of a mixed week and um, no real sense of direction in terms of what sector rotation is talking about. Certainly not like we've seen in past months. And I think that's because there's a lot of things going on in the marketplace currently, especially with earnings. Um, Also, I thought was interesting this week too that's kind of taking place is that you're really starting to see a normalization of the yield curve. Um, where you have all of a sudden um, the spreads are really beginning to kind of uh, normalize here. Um, and the basically the spread between the uh, 10-year and 13-week is now positive uh, back to 12 basis points, and the 30-year minus the 13-week is back to 62 basis points. So you've seen really what you've seen is the front end of the curve uh, declining, the long end of the curve is kind of, uh, you know, not rising, but it's certainly not falling, and that's allowing the yield curve to steepen and renormalize, which is a healthy thing for the banks. But unfortunately for the banks, the interest rate environment is much lower than where it was earlier this year. Um, so it's something worth watching. We need to remember too that, uh, you know, the Fed meeting is going to be coming up, and based on the calendar, I believe it's actually this week the meeting. Um, let me just check that while we're doing this. Um, the Fed meeting is not this week. It must be the week thereafter. Um, FOMC meeting the week of is actually on October 30th. Um, and currently, when we look at what the market is um, expecting in terms of rate cuts, um, the market right now is looking for a 91% chance of a rate cut when in during the October meeting. Um, and they're looking right now a uh, 70% chance of no rate cut in December uh, and only a 25% chance of another rate cut in December. Um, however, those odds kind of increase when we move into January uh, with uh, the odds of an, an additional rate cut in January 
rising to 35 point, uh, 35% um, versus uh, last week's reading of about 30%. So certainly the odds of an, an additional fourth rate cut still exist, and it's something worth paying attention to um, if you're an investor. Uh, when we think about what's taking place with earnings so far, so far according to data from uh, S&P Dow Jones through October 17th, We've had 72 companies report, which represents about 14% of the S&P 500. I should say 72 of the uh, 500 or so companies that make up the S&P 500. That's um, 80. So so far, 81% about have beaten estimates, while 11% have missed, and uh, 8% have met uh, so far this year. <clears throat> Historically, on average, going back to the second quarter of 2012. The average runs at around 70% beat, 21% miss, and 9% meet. So right now we're running a little bit above average in terms of uh, beats. We're running well below average in terms of the misses, and we're running about in line when we look at the meets. Uh, and also when we think about where the market is valuation-wise, uh, S&P 500 trading around 16.8 times, 2020 earnings estimates, which certainly isn't an egregious evaluation for the marketplace. And it's even trading at um, 19.8 times uh, 12, tw uh, 2018 earnings estimates. Uh, so on even on a, a trailing 12-month period, the S&P 500 now trading below 20 times earnings, which historically is, uh, again, on the lower side of things. So um, the market overall doesn't seem overvalued currently. And when you watch the price action, especially um, if you just look at the charts and you watch how the market seems to trade, we had, um, you know, if you had been reading the free blog during the week, I had noted the rising triangle pattern that was in the marketplace. And uh, we did actually get that sell-off we were looking for. Um, and what was interesting about it is that there was really no – um, rhyme or reason for it to have taken place other than the technicals. Um, and the market fell pretty sharply, I would say, from around 3,000 on October 17th at 3 o'clock to around 29.75 uh, or so by the morning of uh, 1230 on October 18th, which is, you know, believe it or not, it's, it's about 1% <coughs> in um, a pretty rapid order. And when you looked at the performance of the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ was actually down even more um, than that, uh, having risen from <clears throat> around 81.60 to around uh, 8,050 um, over that same period, which is 100 NASDAQ points. Um, what is interesting here, though, is that the NASDAQ, uh, it did break through a, resist a support level at 8,110, and it did manage to fall to about 8,050 which was another support region, but when it rose uh, kind of into the end of the day, um, it only rose back to around 8,110 and failed. So you'll see that on the chart when I when I include it in the graphics, but I find that to be interesting, um, and it could suggest that perhaps there's further downside risks to the market when we go back to trading next week. Um, I was uh, suggesting, and I've been talking about this in the midday commentary, which um, if you're a premium subscriber, you'll get if you're uh, you can subscribe and get that commentary through uh, my stock twit stock twit subscription, or you can get it through the Seeking Alpha subscription. I share that across both platforms, um, and it's very similar to this, but a, a much shorter and condensed version. Um, and um, 
Um, I've been thinking that the market could fall to around 29.65, 29.70. We got pretty close to it on Friday, but ultimately I've also been fearful that we could refill the gap to 29.40 again. This wouldn't be a dramatic um, decline. I mean, certainly it's it's only you know you're talking about uh, basically you're talking about um, if my charts cooperate as I do this, I do these kind of like on the fly, right? Um, which kind of make them fun, but also make them challenging. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, if we kind of look at that's about, you know, only a 1% decline, certainly not a 1.5% decline, certainly not the end of the world. Um, and that's why I say when it's a mild pullback, it's a mild pullback. I mean, you know, let's face it, 1.5% today is like a half a day's worth of work, given some of the pullbacks we've seen in the marketplace reasonably speaking over the last, you know, year or so. But when you look at the way the market trades overall, it, the market feels to me, and I say feels, right, because there's no science to it. It's just the feeling in terms of how I'm watching it, as if it wants to continue to move higher. And it needs like that little bit of a catalyst to kind of give it that push that's really going to push it through uh, this kind of resistance level um, that we've been experiencing around 3,000 to 3,025. And perhaps that comes if you read uh, had, had a chance to read the article I wrote for Investing.com. I talked about November being the breakout month based on historical trends that I've seen uh, since 2011. And based on those trends, um, it certainly seems possible that it could happen. And you could say to yourself, well, what's going to happen in November to be that catalyst? Well, we need to remember one, uh, the Apex Summit actually occurs in November, um, which was where Chi and Trump will meet, which will be a really nice opportunity for them to finalize any sort of phase one of the trade deal or talk about phase two of the trade deal, <coughs> which could act as a positive. Remember, the Fed's going to be meeting on uh, that that October um, 31st. Uh, I'm sorry, October 30th, which is basically in November. So we'll have to see what comes out of that meeting. Um, also, November is going to pretty much be the end of earnings season. You have a lot of earnings coming this week. At that point, expectations are for earnings to decline about two to three percent on operating earnings uh, this for this third quarter that just recently finished. Um, obviously, if we if we can manage to pull in our historical seventy to seventy five percent above um, expectations, you could see earnings estimates not be negative for the quarter, and that would be a positive surprise. Um, certainly going into the end of the year. So um, you're going to have two potential, three potential catalysts, depending on how the Fed positions itself um, about future rate cuts, future monetary policy. You're going to have the APEC summit, uh, which is uh, taking place in the middle of November. And then, of course, you're going to have the wrap up of earnings season. So you have three potential catalysts that um, could really kind of start moving the market higher. And then also, by the way, is 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 what we haven't really talked about, and I've just first start, first started to really focus on, which is that of the dollar. The dollar all of a sudden has really started to fall, and um, there's a really big chance here that the dollar, if it can break below 96 and a half on the dollar index, could really start moving lower. And if it should start moving lower, and I'm not talking about a collapse, I'm just talking about a move lower. I think it's important that we, we remember that, right? Because the dollar index has risen from about 88 to around 99 and a half, 100 since uh, January 2018. A very strong dollar has hurt earnings growth for many multinational companies. So suddenly, if you start getting a weaker dollar going forward, that's going to be a boost to you know multinational companies that are 
Um, you know, selling overseas is going to make our goods and services more attractive. It's going to make them cheaper and it's going to act as a tailwind to earnings and it's going to act as a tailwind to revenue. And all of a sudden those FX headwinds are going to get easier and that's going to actually help to boost these earnings and, and revenue numbers for going into 2020. So this is really potentially a very big catalyst for the dollar. And if it should get below this 96 and a half level, I think there's a good chance that we could see the dollar fall to around 92 and a quarter or so. I was talking about the dollar peaking at the end of August and beginning of September. And most notably, I, the reason I based that was because of what I was seeing in terms of the spreads taking place between U.S. and international bonds. And those yields, those spreads between yields have really contracted with the dollar, uh, the 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 10-year Treasury rate falling from around 2.8% to the German 10-year bond to 2.15%. And as those spreads contract, it should over time really weaken the dollar. And that's one reason why I think the dollar's pace of the rise has really kind of slowed. And if that trend should continue, or the dollar really should begin to weaken. And um, it kind of goes along with what I was talking about in the beginning of September. Sometimes I'm a little early to these new these new trends, these big shifts. But I mean, I, I think probably you know uh, four weeks off isn't like a big deal. But this is how I tend to think about things, and it's one of the reasons why when I wrote my twelve my ten predictions for 2019, when the ten year was trading around three percent. I thought the 10-year could fall to around 2.3 to 2.25% with the time. Everyone thought I was insane because the spreads were at historic levels not seen since 1989 on the 10-year rate versus the German 10-year rate. So again, you should look at these types of things, and then you need to think about, well, what does a weakening dollar do other than add to FX tailwinds? It can be a, ma a major boost to the energy sector because it could push oil prices higher. It could be a major boost to the commodity sectors because it could push commodity prices higher. It can actually also kind of help to boost inflationary forces here in the U.S. and kind of get the Fed off of having the cut rates and kind of reignite and stoke uh, earnings, uh, earnings growth and economic growth, start pushing GDP rates higher. Um, and so that's really where I'm thinking about uh, things for next year. I don't know how this podcast lasted 14 minutes, but I guess when I start talking about this stuff, I can get on a roll. So I hope you enjoyed it. It's a little bit longer than normal, but um, the big news is that this is now rolling out. We're now podcasting on iTunes. Uh, so now you can find this on SoundCloud, iTunes. We're really starting to move it out. I'm really trying to broaden this podcast out, um, not just to people who are getting the free blog on my website, but also to people out there in the rest of the world. So I hope you enjoyed. If you have any other questions, as always, you can feel free to email me. I can't guarantee you that I'll get back to you because I get a lot of emails during the week, but I do try to somehow address people's questions throughout the week um, in the blog or in the commentary. Obviously, if you're a subscriber, you get top priority. I respond to you within like minutes, but that's just how it goes. So anyway, thanks a lot and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.